Hello and welcome to the Artcast, your fortnightly arts review podcast brought to you by Vicky Kosmalska. Hi. Kaz Murray. Hello. And me, Laura Leonard. This week we're back at the Royal Academy. We went to see Renaissance Nude, which is on until the 2nd of June. Uh, but first up with some listener-related news, Kaz. Yes. So guys, very excited to share with you that we've had an email that's not from a family member or a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Natural person we don't know, one of our listeners, Katie from West Sussex, penned us just such a glorious email that yeah. came through a week ago. I think it made all of our days, weeks, maybe. Yeah, and it's actually inspired a new little, little content feature. for the show. Yeah. But I, th- I think, first of all, it was just really heartening to get an email where, um, you know, when we set out on this podcast, we were like, oh, we want to make something that's fun, accessible, but still interesting chats. And when Katie wrote in, it kind of seems like it's ticking all her boxes in that respect. So it's like just really heartening. Off the back of Katie's email, we thought it'd be really fun to start a new little segment called Ask the Artcast. So she's put a question to us. In all of the galleries and exhibitions you've visited, which piece had the biggest impact on you? And I think we've taken this as all of the exhibitions that we've seen and reviewed as part of the podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I, to be honest, can't remember all of the ones I've ever been to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So for me, I'd say Tracy Emin. And I think Mm. it's because I went in with quite low expectations and came out feeling actually quite moved. We talked about it a lot last week, so I'm not going to go into the detail. But just that kind of seeing those very female stories portrayed in such a, a kind of grand kind of art environment I found really exciting and it really switched your stance yeah exactly you came out after like what two hours thinking completely thinking differently very about differently it. about her as an artist yeah. yeah Vicky what about you I'm not going to go into that debate with you on Tracy <laughs> <laughs> um, for me it's Dorothea Tanning yeah because she's an artist I really didn't know I thought her work was so captivating and in particular the work that I liked the best was children's games it's a small little piece but just playful and fun and subversive and just ticks so many of the Dorothea boxes for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, she, I actually bought that postcard. It's been sitting on in my living room and each time I look at it, I'm like, oh, what? I didn't notice that. There's something yeah, else going on there. But it's so tiny. It's like a mini mm. painting, but there's just so much stuff happening in it and I love it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I'm doing a bit of a cheat. I'm going to say two. So short-term impact, I would say it was Bill Viola's Tristan's Ascension yeah. um, that we saw quite a while ago now and I think that had the biggest impact on me in the moment I don't think I've ever been that emotionally moved in a gallery and kind of I think tapped into a lot of stuff that I was kind of thinking and experiencing and feeling Uh, so that was quite a strange weird experience but I'd say in terms of long-term impact yeah it's got to be Annie Albers I'm still (laughs) banging that drum I'm still banging that drum just in terms of um her Bauhaus weavings I just remember feeling so inspired and enthralled and it's actually prompted me to take up a new hobby and Ooh. I've started weaving. So, you so know. it's really life-changing for so, you. So, yeah, it is. When I become a critically renowned, well-famous weaver... <laughs> yeah, then I'll want to be your friend. You know, from then small <laughs> beginnings come great things. No, but in terms of, like, inspiring me to kind of get more creative and that's yeah. an important part of my life. It's got to be Annie. Awesome. I'm still going to be going on about her. So thank you so much, Katie. Really loved your email. And obviously, if anyone else feels like penning in, we do read them and we do respond to them. And they make. And we'd our... love to hear from you. Yeah, they make. And our do week. feel free to ask us anything you like. Yes, yeah. ask the art cast. So it's our new. It'll be our new kind of icebreaker question that we ask every week. The exhibition we went to see this week was 
Renaissance nude at the Royal Academy. Basically, 85 naked people. Mm, wow, well, right up my street. Well, I <laughs> it's your pick. You were like, guys, I think we really need to see it? this oh. to get a good <laughs> variety of art periods. Yeah, well, I do also, I love Renaissance art as well. But yeah, I absolutely loved it, obviously, because it was just a glorious romp around the Renaissance <laughs> with 85 nude bodies. Um, but I, I thought it was it was quite a nice way of like using the, the nude as the kind of lens to look at all the key elements of the Renaissance, so to look mm, at religious yeah. art, classical influence, humanism, patronage, um, technical advancement, that kind yeah. of yeah. The, that artist skill coming back from, that they kind of relearned from the classical ages. Yeah. And so it kind of, yeah, it was a really nice overview with a title, you know, Renaissance Nude, which is, you know, quite sexy and alluring and it brings people in off the street and perhaps makes Renaissance art a bit more approachable to your contemporary art goer yeah, um, so. or a younger art goer. There was certainly... Kazi and I went on Friday evening, and mm-hmm. there were quite a few young people in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's true. Yeah, so rocking Friday. I think you're yeah. probably right. So they were bringing them in for sure. Yeah. But I have to say, I was—I mean, you know me—I'm a bit of a bawdy, a bawdy kind of. <laughs> I don't know. This is right up your street, because <laughs> yeah. it gets pretty broad. It does. Although I did feel like the curatorial tone of some of the blurb that they'd written didn't quite follow through with that kind of fun irreverence of some of the images. I feel like it's kind of implied. They've put those pieces in the exhibition. It's up to you to go and find them. I don't know. I feel like they they went out of their way to then really kind of intellectualise the fact that they were showing all these naked bodies and be like, oh no, it's not just about the naked bodies. It's also like... We're also highbrow. It's the RA after all. Yeah, (laughs) and I just kind of wish that maybe they'd had a little bit more of a sense of humour in their tone because I felt that then it became a bit less approachable again. I think they thought carefully about what they were going to include and, you know, they purposefully had had included sort of half male and half female bodies, for instance. And I think a key point they were trying to get across was like the variety of these names. Because obviously within art history, the, the one that really kind of powers forwards from, I guess, Titian onwards is the female nude, particularly the reclining female nude. And that becomes what everyone then thinks of as... As yeah. the nude in art history, Whereas, and I guess as a part of the the idea that this is the the very beginning of the representation of the nude within art, is that it touches on so many different things. Yeah, and it can be as a result of so many different thematic elements. That yeah, it's included. Yeah, and it doesn't get boxed into that reclining female Just, nude yeah, stereotype. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I found this exhibition surprisingly entertaining. I agree with your point about like the blurbs. I'm not that well acquainted with the Renaissance. I'm definitely. But not you very... do love a blurb. I do love a blur. You're very well acquainted I, with the I do. I'm very well acquainted <laughs> with the blur. But for some reason, again, I was like, oh, I'm reading this, but I don't have all of the cultural reference points. I'm really not brushed up on my you know, Roman and Greek mythology. So often looking at someone being like, I don't know who that person is. The work was really good, but yeah, I can find Renaissance sometimes a bit inaccessible just because... Well, you do Don't need to know yeah. a lot yeah. about classical mythology, but then like, also re- religious motifs as well, that yeah. iconography of the storytelling. It's, exactly. Yeah. If you don't, I don't have that language, so sometimes I'm like, I know there's probably something significant in this. Like St. Jerome, yeah, I kind of know a little bit about I don't really know what he's about, mm. other than shot with lots of arrows. I mean, that's that's what you Oh, see, nailed it. Case <laughs> in point. Case <laughs> in point. Uh, but yeah, I think... Once I didn't get so hung up on that, I was like, I'm just going to look for stuff I like and what kind of makes me laugh and yeah. Yeah. and then not worry too much about it. And you loved the Titian, actually, didn't you? I was surprised mm. that you liked that because I thought it was glorious, the Titian. Yeah, it's no, it was amazing. Beautiful. Venus rising from the sea. I mean, it was quite a natural pose. So there was something very human mm. about it, which yeah. I really liked. I think yeah. that's one of the things that attracts me to this exhibition is actually it's not as stylized because, as I think as I said earlier, it's still sort of exploring the, the theme of the nude because it's a sort of 
birth of the nude in, in art, I think they're still kind of quite natural about it mm. rather than getting boxed in. Yes, yeah, before they get too into that phase where exactly. they make everything overly ideal that it's really completely unnatural. Yeah. yeah, I agree. They kind of stopped at a good point. So, Laura, you've already mentioned it. There's a lot of the, the history of how the Renaissance develops as, as part of the structure of the exhibition. And also through that, they position the the difference between religious art and the influence of humanist thinking and juxtapose the works that were being created at the time. How do you feel like artists and, I guess, the RA approach those? So it seemed like within religious art, using the nude had three main values within religious Mm -hmm. art. So firstly, there's a timelessness to nude bodies. So if you're not seeing somebody in the kind of dress of your contemporary day or mm, in, or perhaps yeah. even in biblical dress as well, it might kind of seem, make it jar a little bit, whereas there's a timelessness about the nude body. Also, the physicality of those bodies. So when it's a body that's sort of under duress, for instance, a martyred saint, it makes their suffering seem that much more human and real and it's relatable. Mm. Um, and then also there's the verisimilitude. So I think they mentioned it in relation to jurors Adam and Eve, where they're so idealised in this image that that's kind of an act of devotion in itself because it's showing them in their most beautiful, supreme way mm. that they can possibly yeah. appear. And the artist showing that they've studied the body to that extent that they can show it in in that light yeah is that it's... or people at the time were ripped yeah 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 because I found that really funny when they sort of they mentioned that yeah that the sort of depicting of the new body m- would make these religious figures seem more relatable and I was yeah. like I don't have an eight pack <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that's quite unachievable let alone their deities like I'm never going to get that level yeah. of physique either so that kind of amused me a bit that that, that was perceived as relatable, relatable yeah. yeah it's yeah, like yeah. an Instagram influencer being relatable yeah exactly like yeah. I want to see Jesus with a slight paunch yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but the northern European renderings did have a different style true and so they did have a slight paunch. Yes. Maybe more relatable for me. Yeah. <laughs> the, room, the Roman Gold. physique versus the North, Northern European physique. But what I thought was really interesting there as well was that they didn't shy away from the eroticism within Definitely the religious not. work as well. So like, obviously like within the more classical mythological works, it's like a free-for-all. And some of the images there were it's incredible. All sorts in yeah. there. And like, I think like you said it, Vicky, when we were talking about this earlier, like, they're not as pious as we like to think no. they are. And actually, mm. in some ways, of depicting kind of Roman myths and Greek myths was like a slightly like oblique way of them being able to explore stuff that the Catholic yeah. Church at the time... But also even within, I think, religious art and yeah, iconography definitely. is quite like naughty. And I think there's... The thing that I came away from the exhibition thinking more than anything is we think of the Renaissance nude, or we think of the nude as being quite simplistic. Mm. It's just a way of objectifying the human body usually female Mm. but actually in this exhibition what they've done is demonstrate not only how it's used in different ways by both the northern part of Europe and the southern part of Europe but also how it changes over time increasingly with the influence of humanism and how the naked body can just signify different things as Mm. well and I think there's this complexity to the idea of nudity that comes through all of this Mm. that I I guess I hadn't really appreciated previously. Mm. You just kind of think about it almost 
I suppose, quite simplistically is... Or you can yeah. jump to yeah, that's or you objectifying. Can, exactly. Yeah. Is that because the prudent you was sort of bristling at it previously? You were like, no, <laughs> no. God, there's and a new David there. No, Vicky was very good. Like, we bumped good, into each yeah. other, and Vicky was very good. She yeah. wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> covering was anything with, with fig leaves. Actually, at all. So I loved the beginning. You know, they started with the um, Michelangelo, the Last Judgment, yeah. or, or a kind of bit of blurb about it and how it had to be censored yeah. like 20 years after it was first painted <laughs> because people decided that. But people I think in the it's changing styles right and there's yeah. changing attitudes towards yeah, these things so and things. yeah absolutely there's, and there's like, an influence of like the local period and in terms of how that then influences the perception as well as the rendering of the nude yeah and well and i think that humanist interest in um perfecting the kind of ideal body and also showing your knowledge of classical art the two it, that very much plays out in both the mythological scenes and also yeah. the religious ones. And a figure like Saint Sebastian, who Kaz mentioned earlier, with all the arrows um, yeah. going into him, apparently Not he became. Rome. I think he became very conflated with Apollo in terms yeah. of people's ideas of him as a saint, because Apollo was also quite. Uh, I think they were both kind of connected to the plague in some way, or so Saint Sebastian became an outlet to show off your Apollonian beauty. So you see, like these very kind of Greek stances, this contraposto. Pose the kind of pearly white marble of the skin that are kind of purposely referencing the classical age, but also so eroticized because there's these arrows coming at him from everywhere, and quite often he doesn't look that perturbed by it. (laughs) (laughs) He almost looks a little bit ecstatic. It's really incongruous. It almost makes it more uncomfortable that you're like you're not wincing. Yeah, and actually really interesting that it's actually homoerotic. It's not even just erotic. It's yeah, and that's religious iconography that was in churches next to altars. It's really interesting. I really love that. Well, there was like one piece. Was it hands building? Green, Aristotle and Phyllis, the story about Aristotle was annoyed at his pupil Alexander the Great for spending too much time with his lover. Um, So Phyllis decided she was going to get her own back on Aristotle. Yeah. And she was going to ride him around the garden (laughs) like a horse in front of Alexander the Great to see see Aristotle be belittled, I think. Which is just amazing. But I don't know if in the story they were actually naked, but in the print, obviously, they they were. They definitely were naked in the print. Yeah. And they're just, because that's like, very playful, very silly. And again, like Aristotle, Alexander the Great, these like really big names that are canonised in history. And then yeah. here's a little like etching of Aristotle being ridden like a horse. Yeah, by this like gorgeous young girl. Yeah. And he's a wrinkly old man just with it. And he's, I think she's got a whip, hasn't she? She does. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, outrageous as an image. Yeah. And I suppose I've never thought of the Renaissance as being at the, as playful as that yeah. or silly or maybe kind of like taking the air out of something. Yeah, and I think the other one that had surprised us all as well was the bathhouse, yeah. the Jura yeah. bathhouse. God, there was, was so, interesting. so much going on in that painting. Uh, yeah. There's an etching, actually, There's as an well. etching, etching. Yeah. yeah. And so um, it kind of shows all these Renaissance men hanging out at the bathhouse in Germany. But there's there's definite homoerotic overtones to I, that one. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty... I mean, it's blatant the mm. whole way through it. And I think the RA has done an incredible job of collecting all of these artworks from around the world and also in terms of picking subject matters that demonstrate not only the male gaze in relation to females but also the male gaze in relation to each other because Mm. there is quite a lot of that that goes through the exhibition as well as the female gaze on other females and men definitely so there's definitely a sense of equality I guess yeah and as far as the nudity is perceived and who's just doing the looking yeah and it really kind of opens up like what we think we know about the renaissance and i think yeah. a huge amount of what we think we know about the renaissance comes from a kind of victorian scholarship which was a bit more conservative and mm. wanted to shape the story yeah. in a certain way but actually when you look back prior to that it does seem like things were free well, it's quite 
Roman, right? And yeah. if you think about sort of as part of that sort of humanist tradition, those sorts of relationships weren't so taboo. Yeah. Yeah, they were having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel about the difference between Northern European and Southern European art? I think that's, it surprised me a bit because, again, when I think Renaissance, I think Italy. Yeah. And so when you talk about Northern Europe, or there was like quite a lot of work from like the Netherlands and from Germany. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and France as well. And France. And I just don't associate that with the Renaissance. Yeah, which is all. really interesting because I guess Britain even kind of partook in the Renaissance, but it was more literature with yeah. like Milton and Shakespeare. Mm. So it does encompass all of Europe, but certainly within visual art, there is such an eccentric kind of Italian focus. Whereas, yeah, the exhibition was really interesting from that perspective and kind of showing that these interests were throughout Europe and actually that people travelled. I mean, all yeah. drawers and engravings in particular travelled because yeah. obviously Germany was the home of the printing press. It's where oh, these images yeah. could be created and then disseminated. Yeah. So I thought that was a, one of the big That's differences. Really yeah, so they were, they were travelling down to Italy and people were seeing his work. Equally, he travelled down to Italy to see what the Italians were doing yeah. and took that knowledge back. So there was a real cross-pollination of ideas. And also, yeah, one of the big differences I would say is a lot of the German works in particular were engravings or they were kind of small images that could be disseminated and used privately in people's homes. Mm. Whereas the, a lot of the Italian ones, particularly the raunchy um, mythological paintings, were done in situ for a private room. Yeah. So quite a private mm. function for both, but one reaching much more, one, much wider audience. One also arguably more accessible because yeah. if you had the printing press because also again I hadn't made that connection in the printing press I just think oh that's about literature and like no, disseminating yeah. of text I didn't think about that as artwork but again more people can see that rather reaching than reaching a wider audience yeah, yeah apart from you know if I've got a painting in my private like Medici sitting room <laughs> I don't know what they called it then but in terms of style they're quite different as well yeah. aren't they I think like a lot of the northern Europe etchings it was still kind of quite idealised very focused on the body it reminded me a lot of Bruegel actually mm. and Bruegel's a Dutch painter mm-hmm. and I don't want to say grotesque because that sounds a bit too strong a it's word it's a bit fairytale-y yeah in like the original dark sense yeah, of yeah that's what I mean yeah, yeah. like Hans Christian Andersen yeah. sort of there's a darkness that runs through it yeah. I think it's a like it's just culture and tradition isn't it I think the humanism that you get in southern states like Italy tends to be more of the sort of classical tradition whereas I think the humanism of northern Europe plays more Mm. on those sorts of fairy tale type connotation like the colour palettes are really different yeah Mm. and actually the the dual tones that you get in the northern works of art I think come from a very local tradition of darker colours we're just surrounded by them generally aren't Mm. we it's luscious greens and sort of darker you know fauna and fauna that we have yeah whereas there's a lot of like I suppose in southern renaissance it's a lot more well, even, like, the sea and, like, lighter colours and stuff like yeah. that, if you think about Germany and yeah. stuff like that. but also their um, kind of technical skill in terms of... Uh, 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 something they learnt during the Renaissance was how to create depth through colour. So, you know, when you see, like, mm. for instance, there was the Mantegna, I think, I don't know how you pronounce it, Mantegna, in um, Isabel Deste's collection that they had on show mm. of the battle between chastity and love, was yeah. it? Yeah. That, for instance, that's an example of, like, a receding perspective over they a landscape a perspective, didn't and, they? but you need color to do that so obviously you can't really do that on a printing press and also it does kind of create that kind of heat that you associate with like a tuscan landscape because yeah. it's like it's hazy and it's kind yeah. of receding into the background with a kind of hazy glow to it whereas i guess particularly the works they had on the show in this exhibition were more kind of engravings you can't you just can't create that kind of a depth one of the first paintings that you come in and see which is the dark bouts the ways to paradise where it's 
they don't do it through perspective they do it through layering mm. and I think that's a really key sort of difference between the way that they create these pictures definitely makes me think wider about what the renaissance is and yeah. it's definitely more than like Donatello, Michelangelo, Leonardo there's like loads although of they were all there they yeah, were the all there hitters. they were the big yeah. hitters but there's also a ton of other stuff going on that yeah. maybe I haven't looked at the RA in announcing the exhibition made a point of trying to ensure that there was a fair representation of both male and female nudes um, and we've already sort of touched on it briefly but in as far as as gallery goers did you see the difference did you feel the difference of the number of male versus female bodies that you were looking at I think it was fairly equally spread. Yeah, I think so too. And it was all, and it was lots of different like configurations: women, yeah. women, women, men, 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 people on their own. It's like. funny because I don't know that it registered with me until after when I read mm. that they had made that a point within their curation. Across the board, it seemed like they were pretty obsessed with trying to recreate the human form mm. in as realistic way as possible almost like anatomical to yeah. a certain yeah. point and kind of almost in some ways there was definitely quite a bit of showboating of like I'm going to oh, really show off like yeah. my ability to depict these back muscles uh, which I thought was really fascinating and it but that kind of stems back to the humanist tradition doesn't it yeah. is that sort of classical yeah. sort of, and narrative. like a weird like intersection between art and science yeah, yeah because it's about empiricism and looking from experience and learning yeah. from, but yeah. equally about revering the classical tradition yeah. so it's a combination of them both yeah so yeah. it's like idealised but also realistic at yeah. the same time and like the room I really loved they had a whole room which was sort of drawings sort of showing off all the draftsmanship of all of the artists and apparently during this period they increasingly drew from life and doing studies for bigger paintings and I found that fascinating and Leonardo da Vinci's drawings yeah. there was um it was like a two-sider it was absolutely astounding because he actually his is almost on a level of Science, like he's yeah, really trying completely. to understand yeah. how the how the shoulder works, how the muscles work. It was almost like kind of going beyond Getting under the skin, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just was like, I was like, oh, it goes he down to like the level the of tendons, doesn't it? It's quite yeah, actually, I felt yeah. quite nauseous know. looking yeah. at it. I love that though; it was yeah. really, really interesting. But and I think also there was some of the um, the intersection with mass as well, like using mathematical. Mm ideas and geometry to try and work out the sort of perfect form yeah, yeah. the Vitruvian man yeah. and how that all fits together but also what was h- hilarious was Jura in a book oh god um, yeah, <laughs> yeah this Jura in a book did a sketch of a woman in motion and was trying to figure out the proportions of the female form and Cassie and I were sort of staring at this drawing being like what the holy like it just made absolutely no sense it's I mean I don't know if he's ever seen a female naked but <laughs> yeah I mean if he got his tape measure out and started <laughs> plotting it out yeah. he did a terrible job it was <laughs> so really funny, funny. all of these like drawings like sort of like showing all these like oh uh like like mathematical like oh it's this and this and this yeah. I was like mate it's just not fitting together right no. like no amounts of math or geometry is going to help them for you. trying though I, I suppose yeah they definitely seem to nail the the male bodies first didn't they yeah. actually when you think about it it's not that surprising because most of the humanists would have been male the scholars who were kind of able but there was to also an elevation of the male right and then the sort of thoughts of idealism yeah, so are always attributed and to you want to start the with male the male body exactly yeah. that the woman becomes a sort of appendage to that but what I found was so, so I definitely did 
noticed that there were a lot more male nudes in there than I was possibly expecting, which was like, like you say, quite tuning exciting. into it clearly. <laughs> yeah, or just quite interesting because you kind yeah. of wonder what happened to this. Like, I mean, they were completely devoted to the male nude. They were, you know, there there mm. were those battle scenes of people battling naked, just to, like you said, showboating, showing off yeah. the body under lots of different elements of duress and lots of different yeah, positions different angles under lots of, of strain exactly yeah. just showing what they could do with the male body and where when did that kind of fascination get lost I mean I feel like now it's yeah. just not a normal thing it's actually really sad I think and also the other thing that really struck me is alongside the fact that there was the sense of homoeroticism across the art both across male and female what I was also quite um, taken by was the fact that there's quite a lot of renderings of older people yeah and I mean not in any way flattering they weren't sexist ageist Mm. you know there was just a general sense of all human bodies were depicted in the art yeah and I do think we've lost that over Mm. the course of time certainly I think across the board all really really struggled with boobs (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> like so some of the sort of drawings and etchings of the male figures were like incredible and then quite a lot of, like, a lot of the female nudes were lovely but then I'm like even Titian mm. I would, that painting was beautiful but the boobs are just not quite right they're like <laughs> either, either a bit too high yeah. or like there's not enough weight I, or like so I the person or the artist that I think actually on. kind of made it work was Pisanello and he did t- two that I really thought were like okay you look like you've actually seen someone naked yeah (laughs) one was Luxuria who Mm. had the most extraordinary mane of hair to go alongside it so I think that was amazing that reclining nude with a little rabbit at her feet I mean I fell in love with her afro oh that one was incredible it reminded me of Sheila actually yeah Yeah. because she was very like limmy wasn't she yeah Yeah, a bit angular and also it was like direct gaze direct gaze That felt so modern. It felt like so ahead of his time. And then the other one that he did was he did a study of four female nudes on a sheet. And there was also a few little studies in the corner of women swimming. Mm-hmm. And they felt really natural. Yeah, yeah like I remember that. Really, study. really natural beyond yeah. anything else that I'd seen in yes. the exhibition. Yeah, I remember that one, um, actually, yeah. And um, I guess he must have just... Been good with the ladies. Mm. Maybe it was a Very little more experience at, than the others. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, it was just interesting to see like such realism on some of the yeah. leads, and then others being like, "Oh man, it's a bit more work to do on that guy." <laughs> <laughs> Try harder on the boobs. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a teacher's report. Good effort needs improvement. <laughs> <laughs> so patronising. <laughs> So one of the things that struck me actually was that there was a kind of, there's almost like a ubiquitousness of the gaze. It doesn't feel like it's just the male gaze on the female form, but there's also sufficiently male on male and female on female and then female on male too Mm. that sort of runs throughout the exhibition. And I think an important part of that is actually patronage and Mm. the fact that some of the art was created for women owners. Yeah. Um, and the final room in the exhibition is based on the collection of Isabella Deste, who was a renowned um, diplomat 
um, but also art collector. Yeah. Um, highly, highly educated. Sort of took over from her husband when he was. He was, he was in prison in yeah, Venice, wasn't he? Was he? And abducted he was, or something. He was Terrible. really. Yeah. That, Is there a blurb I missed? No, no I think <laughs> we've just read up. I read yeah. up about her afterwards. Uh, so she kind of acted ruler while he was in prison. Yeah. And she did such a better job of it than he had. Like he, she, was he was when fuming when he got home. When he came out. Oh, yeah. Amazing. And they separated. But then when yeah. he died, she took over again because her son was a minor. So ah. she's she's referred to as the first lady of the world by Niccolo de la Correggio, which I think is such a great term mm. that this woman held so much power yeah. and was just so well sort of thought of amongst international circles at the time. And that, with those kind of mythological paintings, those particularly the, the kind of sexy ones, you just I kind of assumed they were for male patrons for their behind their closed doors, you know, for their private studies. So this is actually for the private study of a influential female, and she's yeah. filled it with nudes, mm. which is really interesting. Interesting that the RA chose to choose her as their patron because patronage is such a key element of the Renaissance. Yep. Like it really drives the Renaissance because you have to have those patrons there wanting to spend money decorating their houses and wanting to make donations to yeah. churches. So make, you can't. Talk about the Renaissance without talking about about patronage. the Medici's yeah. and the Borgias and, and everyone else, but the fact that they chose Isabella d'Este and her collection to feature was again, like you said, kind of brought into question that gaze yeah. and whether it was always for the male gaze or not. And so I think for her especially, it's very much for her own pleasure because she sees herself as because she was so highly educated, mm. she sees herself just in the same way the same, as, yeah, it's as like, any of the male patrons like, would. I'm yeah. gonna do that and, too, and you know she played such a pivotal role. Um, not only on a local but international stage that I think she's using it to demonstrate just yeah. how influential she is yeah, I and wish, her power. Listening to that bit of bio, I wish they, the RA had talked more about that because I think if you, like, so from my perspective, I was like, oh, it's a lady who commissioned this. I didn't actually really twig. One of the things that I found really interesting is they they had two, like, prayer books and it's the rendering of the story of Bathsheba where in the one that was commissioned by a female owner, Bathsheba is wearing like a tunic and is only dangling her feet in the water. So you only see her knees. So you That's see up to, yeah. yeah. It's very demure. Whereas the one that was commissioned by a male patron, she's fully nude and sort of, you know, having fun frolicking in the in the water. So I think there is still a difference between the way in which male and female audiences commission art for their own personal use but I think for someone like Isabel Dester it's such a sort of authority and sort of power and I think also intellect marker that she's she's kind of going down slightly more male gaze maybe and she plays with like big philosophical themes as yeah. well like you were talking about fortune and cornucopia yeah and you see in that there's her family motif or her family kind of emblem which is like a, a lot of lottery tickets yeah yeah and it really reminded Luck. me of like yeah. you know, like the barberinis the big like roman families who decorate their houses with bumblebees everywhere because that's their family motif and so it's kind of like her being no this is me this is who i am this yeah. is my family and this is like a big allegory about our family and and the fortune. Then, and the lady sitting on, uh, the female nude is sitting on a bubble. So it's yeah. almost like she's referencing like, I also know that there's a fragility yeah, in all true. of this, yeah, which yeah. is actually some humility yeah. in there as well amidst yeah. commissioning a very, very grand painting for your Yeah, that was room. a really great painting actually, I yeah. loved that. It was um, by Dossie, wasn't it? Yes. 
There was a group portrait actually in that room too of a really unattractive, quite boring looking guy. Is that going to be your take home? (laughs) (laughs) No. But what was really... unattractive, boring man? Um, I'll have that one. What was really interesting is that was the front of the painting and then the back of the painting was actually quite a racy couple where there was like... I took a photograph of that too. I'm so impressed you did, Vicky. I was was quite sure. what's happened to the prude? I was really quite surprised. I was like, oh, so this is like your public facade and then you have a little like yeah delectation on the back it made me laugh maybe he could like depending on who he's having round for tea he could like turn it so when it's, his, when it's his mum it's just yeah. his portrait and when it's um, when he's got the lads over or, or a like, lady that he's yeah. trying to <laughs> yeah, be suggestive right. yeah. which side does he want to show yeah <laughs> I thought that was great Veneziano he's got a sense of humour <laughs> So what would you guys take home? I'd take the Pisanello home, the Luxuria and the Four Studies of the Female Nudes, just because I think they're so beautifully rendered. And I'd also take home the Polo Wallow sculpture of the Antonius and Hercules warring. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Hercules and Antonius, even. Yeah. Just because if you can decipher whether or not they're having a fight or they're in the middle of a tryst. A clinch. Oh, it's very similar amazed. to your Rodan that you like. Yeah. yeah. And that juxtaposition of yeah. the two bodies moving in, in both directions. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I love it. Well, I'm going to follow Vicky's lead and take two as well. Okay. <laughs> we always take more than one. We're always more than one. Yeah. yeah, well, you took a whole room. So yeah, that's... true. <laughs> At the deal. Yeah. So the first one would be one of the drawings, because I really liked that room. Raphael's drawings, a study of three women. I think, again, it was like quite a natural study. And mm, it's really beautiful. I remember tell it was one. drawn from life, and it was the same model, but like represented three times. So I think that would be lovely. That's my sort of more serious one. And then there's another one I take home purely for lols, because it was really funny. Phyllis. No. Uh, Bathhouse. Uh, yeah, Bath. no. no. Um, we haven't actually talked about it. Piero Cosimo did a painting called Satire, Mourning uh, Over yeah. a Nymph. Um, oh, I don't yeah, know if you your saw favourite. It. Yeah. It. So it's this like like pastoral scene. You've got this like satyr that's leaning over, he's kind of a half human, half like like goat legs. Yeah. Mm. Um, leaning over this nymph who's been like shot in the neck and it's all very sad. And then to the right, there's just this portrait of a dog that I think is probably the most sympathetic <laughs> rendering of a dog I've ever seen. The emotion. The morning dog. Morning dog. The emotion in that dog's face mm-hmm. is really quite poignant. <laughs> and it was really funny because we were sort of watching it and I was like, I was looking at it and there was these two guys next to me who were just basically had a five minute conversation about the dog, completely ignoring the female nudes, the whole point we're here. It's like, oh, that dog looks really sad. What are those dogs doing in the background? And that's just Maybe that <laughs> would be the next exhibition for the RA to do. Dogs, dogs of the Renaissance. Renaissance. That would be amazing. Because there's a lot of animals in it. They have <laughs> yeah. the creatures. Creatures of the um, so I think I'd also take that one just because it really, really tickled me. I'm going to take the Titian because he's just my all-time favourite artist. So if there's an exhibition with him in it, then he's going to be mine. Yeah, that'd Fair be a close third after the dog. Yeah, and also <laughs> it would look great on my bathroom wall with all my other nudes. <laughs> <laughs> getting quite, quite a quite collection. Likely. You are getting a really good collection. Now it's time for some art news with Kaz Murray. So just got the one story. Uh, it's quite hard hitting. I think you're going to like it. <laughs> so uh, there's a pig in South Africa who's discovered a love of painting after being rescued from a slaughterhouse and has been selling her work for around $5,000, I think. Wow, a talented Amazing. pig. A talented pig. So Pigasso, Stop as it. she's known, <laughs> was basically rescued from an abattoir um, and her owner when thinking about how to keep her occupied in her pen, 
sort of chucked in uh, loads of like footballs and rugby balls and there were some paintbrushes lying around because the barn was newly built and apparently she destroyed everything apart from the paintbrushes which she really loved and then before long was dipping the paintbrushes in paint and then painting on canvas. slopping it all over a canvas yeah what a um, clever piggy yeah well they're very smart animals actually pigs they get a bit of a bad rap actually so they um, could have been they could be like pig sculptors or pig architects that or, just didn't get saved from the abattoir no all many many greats it's tragic it's actually quite sad <laughs> Um, pig talent we're missing this was supposed out to be a really like light-hearted story but you've kind of managed to <laughs> oh right yeah, sorry yeah. keep it light so as i was saying um her paintings can sell for almost four thousand dollars and the proceeds go to an animal welfare charity um and actually the swiss watchmaker swatch has announced a collab where one of her pieces is going to be used in kind of one of the watch faces so because pigs stores. love watches because pigs understand the concept <laughs> of time they're very punctual pigs <laughs> yeah. And just a little quote from her owner, Miss Levson. Picasso is definitely an abstract expressionist. You can't exactly define what she's painting, but I can tell you her style slightly changes depending on her mood like any great artist. Well, she's certainly bringing home the bacon. <laughs> yes. Love well, that. Well, hooray for Picasso. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just goes to show that anyone can do it. <laughs> Apart from us. Yeah. Apart from us. <laughs> it's like, you know when people go to galleries and they're like, oh, my child could do that. Yeah. Like, oh, my pig could do that. <laughs> Literally. Can we see what it looks like? Can she do Renaissance perspective? Can I don't do know if she nude? can do foreshortening just yet. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Mm, abstract expressionist is, is That's the term. That's really Laura. Expressionism. Love it. Yeah. Not abstract expressionism. She is elevating pig narratives to the art world. Though. Yeah, like, you know, often like they... Yeah, exactly. And female narratives, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is a comparison. What, what I love about that is it's a, a very authentic pig story there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's good life as a swine. More, more swine work from the pig life. gaze, I think, is really important. It's an <laughs> yeah. untold narrative. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's we're going to keep it at that. I think keep something light-hearted to yeah. sort of send you off onto your Easter holidays. So that's the end of series two of the Artcast. <laughs> I know, oh sad times. So thanks to everybody who has listened throughout yeah. the series. Thanks to everyone who's written us messages. Thanks for everyone who's liked our silly Instagram stories. Yes, mine in particular. <laughs> And um, as always, thank you for Johnny for all the editing and thank you for Nat for all the music. Yes. If you have liked the series, please do tell people. Please rate, review and subscribe. And if you have a question for the Artcast, just email us um, and we can include you in a future Ask the Artcast. So there's various ways you can get in contact. You can email us at hellotheartcast at gmail.com. You can direct message us or comment on our posts on Instagram. We are at the Artcast. Yes. And that's it. Those are the two ways. <laughs> yeah. There are two ways you can get into contact with us. <laughs> and also, I just want to say, like, a thank you to my fellow co-hosts. This has been so fun. Aww. I've loved it. It's been, really it's been really good. Can't believe we've done two series. It's yeah, amazing. I know. So we're going to have a bit of a break, aren't we? So we will haven't quite worked out what our schedule is, what we're going to be doing. So stay tuned. We'll yeah, let you know. Yeah, keep a check on Instagram for... Yeah, for updates. News, I guess. In the meantime, enjoy all the exhibitions that are on in London and let us know what you think. Bye. 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 Bye.